Hi, and welcome to a special bonus episode of Keep Calm and Cook On. In early December, I wrapped up my book tour for my latest cookbook, Now and Again, in Atlanta, Georgia. My goal for my entire book tour was to connect with and create community wherever I went. When I started making a list of some of the people I wanted to be with in Atlanta, I started to realize we all had one thing in common. We were all queer women in food, and we all came together at the Atlanta History Center to put a true exclamation point at the end of my book tour. What follows is a recording of our panel conversation. It's moderated by Rosalind Bentley of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and I got to sit on the panel next to Kim Severson of the New York Times and two couples. First, Chef Deborah Van Treese of Twisted Soul Cookhouse and Pours, along with her partner in both work and life, Lorraine Lane. And second, Virginia Willis, the cookbook author, along with her girlfriend, the literary agent and consultant, Lisa Eckes. We all came together to talk about our experiences and to explore what it means to be a queer-identified woman in food today. In sharing our differences, we were reminded that no single person speaks for an entire group. Our individual stories are important and valid and worth telling. They're worth hearing. The night made a lasting impression on me. If I could go back in time and tell my 13-year-old self that I'd be on stage with these amazing women celebrating our shared identity, saying out loud that I'm a proud gay woman, wow, I bet I could have saved younger me some time. It really was a gift to all be together, and I'm so happy that we recorded it so I could share it with you. And just a logistical note, I know when I listen to podcasts of live events, sometimes it's confusing to know who's talking. So you're going to hear me jump in a few times here and there just to say who's on the mic if it's not clear. I really hope this is helpful and not disruptive. Okay, here we go. I would like to kick it off with actually a quote from you. Okay, you said, um, when we cook, we tell people who we are. So who are you? I'm Julia. Um, I am a very proud gay woman. I'm a home cook. I am a pet owner and lover. (laughs) Um, And I am Rochelle and Doug's daughter. Here's Kim responding. I'm a mom and um, I'm a girlfriend and I'm a what what kind of cook am I? I want to like I'm I can I can turn it out if I have to. It's not going to (laughs) be. Fancy, but we had 27 people at our house for Thanksgiving. We, like, ran a pop-up. So um, it was like, I was like, are you kidding me? But anyway, I, um, you know, I'm just a really good home cook that learned how to cook because I've been interviewing cooks for a long time, so I got to hang out in kitchens. And, and I, I have to say, and I will share with my friend up there, a deep love of making our children's lunch every morning. I'm Virginia. Cooking gives me my place in the world. I don't know. It just it, it, identif- it identifies me. And allows me to identify myself. And I, I never grow tired of cooking, ever, almost ever. And, um, and I honestly cannot imagine doing anything else. Hi, I'm Lisa. I'm a hoarder. <laughs> I, hoard, I hoard books. I have about 10,000 culinary volumes, seriously. My whole, I've been in the, in the culinary publishing world for about 40 years. Um, I'm the least qualified to be up here because I've only been a lesbian for 10. <laughs> what I love most in the world is to take, t- 
to take the food of what you all do and what this panel does and so many of the people who line my shelves and get them out to you, talk about them, promote them, get them book, uh, book deals, and to share their words and their passion for food. I'm also a cook. When, my, um, parent, when I was little, my parents would go away and they'd give us money um, just to tide us over for three weeks. We'd spend it all on food and entertain. So it was just sort of written that way. And I still am blessed to love what I do 40 years later. Hi, I'm Deborah. When I cook, I am my ancestors. I am the history of my people, and I'm also the future of my people. I you know, pay homage to where they have been, and I also respect the fact that they've paved ways and opened doors for me to experience things and do things that they couldn't. And in my cuisine, I try to show that. I try to make you feel that. Wow, this is going to be hard to follow. Um, my name's Lorraine. <laughs> I do like to cook, um, but I don't have to. <laughs> um, but I enjoy making cocktails. Uh, and if I had to say what type of cocktail I am, I'm what you would call homegrown hooch. Um, I love moonshine. I think it's America's Uh, first spirit, and it's uh, undervalued. And so um, I'm the thing that's going to spice it up for you. Well, Julia, I want to give you an opportunity because we're going to get into the meat of it, but I do want to give you an opportunity to talk about the book a bit, you know what I mean? Because that is a large part of this. So while we're here, so... I was editing my answer as (laughs) everyone was talking. Um, I am a... yeah. My new answer is I'm very resourceful, uh, and I think that's where my love of leftovers comes from. And the book started off, it was just going to be about reinventing leftovers, and it was going to come from that place of just this joy of resourcefulness. And I was jokingly going to call the book It's Me Again. I thought that was so funny. And then... (laughs) and. As I was working on this list that was going to be the book of all these things that were reinvented, I realized I was giving you the after and not the before. It wasn't the whole story of of the food. So, you know, I started writing the recipes for the thing that you would reinvent. And it sort of evolved into this book of all these menus and then things you can do with leftovers from the menus. So that's sort of the genesis of the book. But it actually made the book much more meaningful and I think ultimately much more useful on a practical level, but meaningful because it's, it's a book about getting together with people, about treating every meal as an opportunity to be a meaningful one. So, you know, it could be a breakfast or, you know, it could be a holiday or it could just be an every night kind of dinner. And there's so much kind of, not even in between the lines in the book, but pretty overtly that is about the sort of the radical things that can happen when you just come together at the table. And so I speak about my wife all the time in the book because uh, she's great and I love her, but also because I think a, a cookbook is this amazing place where you can sort of normalize things that have been othered. You know, talking about Thanksgiving, my introduction to the Thanksgiving menu is all about supporting indigenous women. So there's, you know, there's different ways to kind of get in there within a cookbook, but ultimately it is about getting people together and that's why, and I'm not just saying this, why I've been looking forward to this event so much, and especially to kind of close this very meaningful book tour, because to get us all together, and that you're all here and, and made time to be here just means so much to me, and that you all made time uh, to come and listen just means a lot. And so, you know, we're not 
sitting down to a meal. This, to me, is the point of it all, and this is why I do what I do. Everybody has public-facing work here on this panel. So what has been the evolution of your personal identity mm. in doing that very public-facing work? Like, how are, out are you at work? Mm. Here's Kim responding. Uh, well, I am gay. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah. No, I, uh, you know, I um, have been out, um, you know, back for a hundred pre-Ellen years, and uh, said, Joe, you know, like our gay straight alliance at high school was like somebody calling me a lesbian in the hallway. That was kind of like how it's, you know, I was like, okay, well, we're kind of getting, this is good. We're having a dialogue. Um, uh, but I was early, early on when the National Gay and Lesbian Journalists Association started, and this was in the 80s. Um, it was really active in that, and that was a, you know, I remember somebody threw a survey down on my desk. I was working at the Tacoma News Tribune, just blowing the lid off of City Hall there, and um, uh, and, and it was like a survey for, they were trying to get their arms around gays and lesbians, and, well, not literally, but like around gays and lesbians in the newsroom. Right, 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 right. And it was just like a revelation to me that we could like have a group of, you know, um, but this was still in the day when they didn't want, um, you know, gay people to cover gay issues. Um, there were mm. concerns about like a gay male reporter covering HIV AIDS, for example. Mm -hmm because they thought you would be biased. And I'm like, well, then white men should not cover the Senate. <laughs> but, all right. So, so anyway, so it's been a long thing. I, I've written, I, I would dip in and write gay stories sometimes or gay theme stories, um, but it's never really been my beat. It always makes me uncomfortable because I know too much and it's always hard because people are going to yell at me that I know. And it's just always, you know, I've never kind of, I mean, I've done something, like I did a big story about what it was it like to be gay at, Dollywood, a travel story, and that was kind of, you know, easy to do, but, um, but I have, <laughs> but um, I, I, I think that uh, newsrooms, at least that's my experience has been in the newsroom for 112 years, that they really have evolved, there's still issues around it, but, um, you know, we did big fights about domestic partnership benefits, um, we went head to head with NABJ around the National Association of Black Journalists about whether gays should be part of the affinity group that, you know, um, Latino reporters and... But, unity. Yeah, unity, thank you. This is a right. time when racial groups, uh, uh, racial affinity groups in newsrooms, Hispanics and South Asians and Native Americans and uh, black journalists would have, get together every four years. And this was a time when newsrooms, once again, were trying to be diverse and we're gonna do it and this is the year and um, they would recruit. And so we wanted to be part of that group. And there was a big issue about whether sexual, uh, sexual orientation and those issues were the same as race, and certainly they aren't, but there are also overlaps. And we felt like we should be part of that. There were groups that felt like they shouldn't. So there's been battles, inner you know, battles around it uh, for a long time. But I would say now, you know, where I work, you, you, know, you can't swing a cat without hitting a gay person. And um, <laughs> it just ain't that special anymore. Um, but we still do really boneheaded things sometimes around coverage because, and the, the way we do around race or other groups because so, you know, the more diverse staff you have, the less uh, mistakes like that you're going to make. So... Now, it might not be that special in your newsroom, but when you are out in the field, depending oh, yeah. upon when you're, if you're in some small town doing something, it might, you know. You know, you use whatever, you're like, oh, you have kids, I have a kid. Tell me all about your husband who just got murdered. You know, like, it's a weird business, right? So, um, but you're, you know, you're trying to get in front, you know. So, um, 
and I, you know, it's sometimes it helped. Like there were there were um, some very on the DL guys who one of them got beaten up very badly and killed in Jackson, and it helped that he knew that I was gay. Mm -hmm. um, other times I don't. You know, somebody will say, oh, you're, are you, you know, like if I wear, I mean, this is just a ring that I have for my family, but it's, um, you know, and they'll say, oh, you're married, and I'll be, well, you know, I'll say, I'm divorced, which is true, or I'll say, I'll do something, but I won't let them know, I'll stay. and I hate it when that happens. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm just like, I'm a proud lesbian, sir, and I wish you would recognize, you know, it's like, <laughs> I'm there, I'm there to represent the paper, you know, mm -hmm. not to make a political stand, and so, and it still kind of sucks, and I also think that I am still a holdover from the days when you had to really be careful about when you were out, so yes. I think maybe I'm still just the old style, and thank God for all the beautiful younger people who are you know, so it's, um, you know, it's a judgment call still for me. Here's Virginia responding. Coming out just happens again and again and again, like every day, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and um, I mean, I, when I used to go down to the Capitol and protest, the state Capitol here and protest, like, uh, there was an ACLU lawyer that would, like, make fun of me and say, you look like my mom. And what Julia and I were talking about today is like, because I can pass, right? I wear lipstick and I have long hair kind of thing. I've been out since I was 20 years old, and I'm 52. 32 years ago was a hell of a lot different, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, well, actually, with a story, one of the stories happened this summer. So I was fortunate enough to be in, um, in the food section of the New York Times with Todd uh, Richards talking about soul and who owns Southern food. Right. And Julia Moskin, the reporter, asked me if I was comfortable with her outing me in the paper. And I was like, well, yeah. She said, well, I just know you'd ever done that before. And I Googled it. And it was something that you had interviewed me and asked me a question about gay marriage like in 2010 or something. I mean, it was a oh, while. You outed me. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know. Yeah, there is a, there's, a, there's a piece of it that's coming out every day. And it, it does wind up happening like that. Like, mm -hmm you know, or what's your husband do kind of thing. And it's like, and then just trying to make those judgment calls because I do have that memory of it not being mm -hmm. okay to say, I'm, it's, I'm not, it's not my husband, it's my wife or, mm -hmm. um, or my partner or, or whatever. And just trying to, and, it's, and, it's, and it still happens, unfortunately, a lot in the South. It's everywhere, but it does happen a lot in the South. So there is a piece of it that does, uh, I am so happy with who I am and what I do. And I'm, thrilled to be a lesbian, to be frankly about it. But there is a piece that there has to be that decision. It didn't record, but at this point, Kim asked Virginia if she ever kept from outing herself in her cookbooks. Here's Virginia's response. I have considered it. I have never not done something because of it. I, 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 can't, I can't lie about who I am, right? And so um, I am certain that some of those sweet Baptist ladies that love my pound cake recipe probably would not like the fact, you know, would not like that, but I can't do anything about that. Bridging Virginia's experience to Deborah's, Roz, our moderator, mentioned that when she first watched Deborah on some food TV shows, she couldn't help but notice that her sexual orientation and her marriage wasn't mentioned. There were moments when I was kind of waiting for you to say something, and I'm wondering, was that a decision on your part? Did you say something and the producers cut that out? Or what? Yes, I was very forward with Food Network on who I was, you know, during the whole entire interview process. And, you know, I get interviews a lot. <laughs> um, and a lot of the reasons I do get them is because I am 
uh, very vocal about who I am. You know, it should not be a reason to any, for anyone to judge me. So I'm going to talk about it, you know, and I want uh, us all to be comfortable in being who we are. It was eliminated um, from the final cuts, you know, there, you know, but there were a lot of things that were. You know, there, there's a lot of things I said that y'all didn't hear, okay? Because <laughs> um, I was very vocal uh, about quite a few things that were said to me, you know, and I was very blunt in letting them know what I felt, you know, and very respectful at the same time. Uh, but they researched me. They had pictures of my wife, of my child. You know, they knew my life story. You know, it's just at the end how they chose to present it. You know, I get often a lot of people who they're excited by that. You know, it's like, ooh, poster girl. You know, she's a lesbian, she's African-American, and she's a chef. Woo. Um, and, and I recognize that. It's, it's a positive as well as a negative sometimes. Um, you know, but every chance I get, um, every platform, I'm going to be very vocal about who I am, what I do, and it's kind of a take me or leave it situation for me. Roz asked Deborah what pushback she got during filming. Um, I was challenged on my style of cooking. And the question was presented to me that, you know, it seems that I always go back to soul food. My thought was, and you always go back to Italian, <laughs> and <laughs> you go back to Asian, you go back to French, why is, why is that a question for me? You know, that's what I do. Um, and I'm here, um, like I am on all platforms, to show the respectability of my cuisine. Um, you know, but you didn't see that either. <laughs> you know, it's like they're like, okay, just let her cook, just let her cook, just let her cook. But no, very vocal about, you know, all aspects of what I do at all times. Hi, I'm Lorraine. I'm gay. <laughs> um... It, so my world is dual. Um, I am a supporter and probably her biggest fan, and she um, supports me in my cocktail inventions and uh, adventures. But I also work with at-risk youth um, for Job Corps, um, and I've been with Job Corps for 20-plus years, and so that's one of my passions and so my coming out, and I'm from South Georgia. I'm not from Atlanta. I'm from South Georgia, Southern Baptist, Brunswick. Well, all right, here we go. And so my coming out, uh, well, I didn't come out. My grandmothers snatched my tail out of the closet uh, one Sunday morning because I used to come to Atlanta. Uh, back in the day, an uh, Atlanta Journal-Constitution ran ads where you called in if you were trying to meet somebody and you put in your box code and they put in their box code and you talked on the phone and then you sent Polaroid pictures in the mail to see what each other looked like. And if you liked the person, you came to Atlanta to hang out because you didn't, there was no gay clubs in Brunswick, Georgia um, that I knew of at the time. Um, and so that was my safe place to date. So bottom line, you know, my grandmother snatched me out one Sunday coming back in coming um, home from Atlanta. But with Deborah, um, you know, I knew uh, this person was going to change my world. And so I have no, everyone who knows me, I'm really, I like to say my wife. That's like my favorite two words together, my wife. I even, you know, sometimes I get on her nerves like, hey, wife, I don't even know what her name is anymore. Um, 
But, you know, I'm very comfortable with who I am and I am old enough now and more assured of myself. And once my grandmothers knew and accepted me, I really didn't care what anybody else thought anyway uh, for me. So if you want to be in my world and you want to be a part of my world, then this is who I am. Um, And if not, do something else, kick rocks. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, because that kind of gets into it in this question I have for you two and also I will have for Lisa and Virginia as well. And it is, you two work together in the kitchen and how does your coupleness how the fact that you're a lesbian couple how does that impact let's say the dynamic within your kitchen because the kitchen can be for a lot of people well not only that but in other places very hostile mm-hmm. to yeah. you know you know to people who are gay who are out so how do you work with that within your Lisa responded when Lorraine said that she and Virginia should go first. I'm a better cook because of Virginia. Um, But I want to just go back a little bit. It was unusual to fall in love with a client and have a client fall in love with their agent. And we've had to navigate a lot of waters. But I've not had to navigate the same depths that most people up here, and I'm sure many of you had, because I grew up in the North. When I told my mother that I had fallen in love with a woman, I had had two previous marriages to men, she high-fived me. <laughs> I mean, you know, that that's unbelievable. And, and so my struggles were a little bit different, which was more about being a woman at the very beginning. I was, I left New York. Um, I essentially set up a freelance business, but you couldn't define it then. There were no fax machines. Computers barely existed. You know, and it's funny to think back, but there was nobody to lead, to share, to empower. And I have taken those lessons in trying to help my clients, help the people who I really believe in share their voices and their stories. You can be gay, you can be Indian, you can be six feet tall. You know, that's where your value is. So I try to look at that when I'm representing anybody. What are your strengths? How do I share your stories? How do I support who you are in your talent? Here's Kim asking about when it doesn't go smoothly. Yeah, but what about the part where you fight when you... (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) Mm We like to say, because we fly so much together, that we both want the aisle seat. We're aisle, aisle. Because <laughs> neither of us are going to quite move in the middle. But, you know, that means that we, we challenge each other. We ask questions. We certainly do not always agree. And I have to hold my place to do the right thing as a business manager for Virginia, as well as her girlfriend who loves her. And sometimes they're two different paths to go down, but I'm glad I have both of them. Here, Virginia jumps in to share her perspective on their relationship. And I also think, I mean, like what you were referencing about um, Lorraine and Deborah in the kitchen, you're working with your partner, you're working with your spouse, you're working with your wife of your husband. Sexual orientation, in my opinion, doesn't have any impact on that. It's just the mm-hmm. fact that you're working with the person that, you, the, with your lover, with your love, with mm-hmm. your, you know, it's, it's no different for a, a man and a woman, in my mind. And now Deborah shares her perspective. Woo. <laughs> okay. Well, I am very much an artist, and I'm my only child, so I rant sometimes, I rave, 
and I have tantrums. Luckily, I have a wife who understands me. She understands my passion, and she really is involved in this because it's what I want. Um, So she supports me 100%, and I know that 100%. So we may go back and forth. We may disagree, you know, but at the end of the day, I think we understand, too, we're trying to build something that works really well, not just for us. You know, I have a daughter who's Lorraine's stepdaughter. Uh, We want something to leave for her. And so that picture is the big picture. And, you know, that the concept of building it together is really, really strong for us. And I think it kind of outweighs and helps us negotiate (laughs) all of the the decisions, you know, that that we have to make um, hard ones. Yeah, it's not easy. Um, no. There, there are days where, you know, I want to sit by the water, the beach, and have my ties brought to me on, you know, a regular basis. And, <laughs> and she wants to create. Um, and, but I support that. I knew what I was getting into uh, when I asked her to marry me. But at the same time, um, she supports what I enjoy doing. I enjoy working with at-risk youth. I enjoy watching them change their lives. And so she supports that and understands that at times that pulls me away from the business. But it's not an easy thing. It is definitely, um, some days it's 80% and 20, some days it's 50-50, some days it's 70-30. But it really is about the friendship. And I like what you said, Lisa, we get to go down both paths. And I think any relationship, regardless of the sexual orientation, it is about your willingness to support the relationship, even when it's not so rosy, but understand that, you know, you're just going through something. I love her. I love her. (laughs) We shift here to Raza's question about the queer food movement. This whole idea of a queer food movement. Um, John Birdsell kind of, some people say he kind of kicked it off with this essay um, in 2011 that was in the dearly departed Lucky Peach magazine, you know, America, your food is so gay. And that was kind of the influence of James Beard, Richard Olney, and Craig Claiborne, just how they as, at the time, closeted white gay men influenced the way we all kind of cook. So I'm just wondering, do people feel like that is truly a thing, this idea that there is a queer food movement? Here's Kim responding. There are a lot of queer people in food, but is our food gay because, I mean, do we have brunch because gay men were around? Do we have potlucks because lesbians invented them? I don't know. Like, do we eat hummus now? Because, like, are we responsible for hummus? And, you know, it's very possible. But, um, I, you know, I, it's hard because if you think what makes a cuisine and, and what are the elements of it, and there's culture, and we have that. And usually there is an agrarian or a land base somewhere or, you know, carrying that land base to places. There's a, there's a common table. And I don't think that that's, like, we're missing the land part. Like, I do think that there's been, like, art and music that, you know, the queer community has greatly influenced all of that. People, you're born an outsider. It frees you up immediately from social norms. There's a real freedom to become creative in that. You know, um, and we, if you don't have family, as a lot of gay people, 
were ousted from their family, you create family. And so creating family, there was a real hunger to do that around food, around that's how you, you know, you create a communal table. So I think maybe that's, you know, a culture rises up out of that. Um, you know, I liked John Burzell piece was really clever and smart, super smart and, and well-researched. It was a great piece. I, I would argue there's not a queer food movement. However, I think that there are whole, I mean, you look at, I was trying to think about, I always think about why are so many lesbian the women chefs, and most of them are lesbians. And I'm like, is it because they already are wearing the sensible shoes in the kitchen? Is it, you know, it's a stereotype, but, you know, is it um, the Subaru holds a lot of stuff in the back? Um, you know, you get called lesbian as a kid. It's easy to do it in the kitchen. It's not as hard in the professional kitchen. I don't know. Like, I, I think um, there's a certain amount of autonomy that comes of having to you know, having to make that decision about who you are and figure that out early, you get a certain amount of strength and ability to say, sure, I can do that. But I, and I, I really, I'm curious about what you think. Why are there, why are so many women chefs, like disproportionately, the women, top women chefs, especially big homos, in your opinion? Kim was pointing to me in that moment. So here I am responding to her. Um, I think you hit on so many of the things I've been thinking because, I mean, to me, certain types of food are so defined by geography, by land, you know, by where people are in community, what's growing there, what's available. But I think there is a, a certain spirit to queer food. And I do believe it comes so much from that chosen family. Um, and I think that is such a big unifier of the queer community and within any family, I feel like the kitchen is where everyone hangs out. You know, I think there's a certain sense of hospitality that comes innately to the queer community because we take care of each other. Um, we look out for each other. So, you know, there was a recent piece a couple of months ago in the Times about, I think it was like the ascent of food culture and um, the writer who wrote that. I spoke to him and he was like, hey, what do you think of the, you know, ascent of you know, queer food culture. And I was like, is, is there one? <laughs> and, and I, yeah. And I sort of feel like what has changed is not that there are so many queer people cooking. I think what has changed is the attention. And I think the visibility is increasing tremendously. And I think with that visibility comes chances like this for all of us to tell our stories because they're all really different. And, you know, no single one of us speaks for all gay women. Uh, you know, we're not a monolith. <laughs> so I think we're starting to see kind of, you know, the, the nuances of the queer community being, you know, sort of understood and also celebrated, which to me is exciting. But in terms of chefs and why are so many of, you know, the, the gender disparity in restaurant kitchens is huge. And a lot of that has to do with economics and just power in general. Um, and I think, you know, why of the sort of few women chefs that there are, why are the majority of them queer? I think a lot of it has to do with those same things. And I think, I think also historically, I don't think the idea of a traditional American family was an option for many queer women. So I think a kitchen was a place where you could have a career where, you know, in the past, and I believe it's changing, and I hope it's changing, you know, it was frowned upon if, if someone was pregnant or had a child to take care of. Um, but, you know, I do think that is changing, hopefully. Because I do think that, you know, we, you know, food is so much our cultural currency now and has risen up so much. It's, it's been astounding since I, like, was full-time food writing, like, late 90s. Um, and so every aspect of it gets examined in ways anew. So it's, I think... Like you said, our attention has gone to like, well, what else can we examine about food movements? And 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 it's happening too when we're ha social movement is 
we're in the middle of, a, I think, a really great chapter in social advancement uh, culturally. And so I think you combine that and food and everybody's having their woke moments and they all want to eat better than they ever have. And if you get that together, like, oh, wait, now there's gay, let's talk about the gay people in the food, you know? So I think it's a, a kind of a merging of a lot of different cultural threads. I wanted Julia to talk a little bit about um, a movement that she has put together that's really pretty impressive. Um, it's Equity at the Table. It's also called... Ah, see? Here we go. See? Well done. Well done. Acronym EAT. Love that. Two T's. Okay. <laughs> All right. And so just tell us a little bit about how this just kind of came about, because didn't some of this happen across the table? You got challenged. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Can you raise your hand if you're a member of Equity at the Table? There's a few of you in here. Yes, awesome. Thank you. So Equity at the Table is a very easy to navigate, um, completely free to use and free to join digital directory of women and non-binary individuals in food. And we focus primarily on people of color and the queer community. And it was started out of, you know, just as you were talking about, a, a confluence of many things. And one was a dear friend of mine who is a cookbook author who's from here, Nicole Taylor, who's awesome. Yes, the Up South cookbook. She's awesome. Um, you know, I was talking to Nicole about all these really joyful, optimistic things about food and how it can bring us together and all this wonderful stuff. And then she looked at me and she was like, when was the last time you invited someone over to your house to eat who didn't look like you? And it was a really simple question and one that really challenged me. The power of that question was enormous. And it's, I put it in the introduction of now and again, you know, as I mentioned, it's so much about bringing people together and thinking deeply about who those people are and who you're inviting in. So I started thinking about that just on a personal level, you know, what Grace and I were doing in our own home, in our own community. And, you know, I was thinking about ways that can expand. And when you put out a cookbook and you uh, promote one, you know, you end up Sometimes, you know, if you have the privilege, as I and we all do right now, you end up on panels and things like this. And I started looking around and realized, you know, it tended to be me and a lot of other white women um, or mostly white men. And I just thought that that was pretty lame and also wasn't a very interesting conversation. And so I started anytime I was invited to something. I asked who else was going, and I started sending lists of people I suggested, and I honestly thought, wouldn't it be so much easier if I could just send a link? <laughs> and so I went looking for a database that existed in the same way. You know, and it's true of many things. There's been a lot of, um, you know, food television, which you spoke about, you know, who's on it, who's featured on it, and I thought, what if those producers, those people who make those decisions, um, you know, the people who are doing the inviting to the table, had a, had a tool, had a resource. So when I went looking for it, I couldn't find it in a way that's as all-encompassing as EAT is, because there's great lists out there, you know, of female chefs and so on, but the food industry is so many industries under one big umbrella, and I thought if there was just one place you could go, having no idea what it would take to build something like that, I thought it'd be easy because it's a list. I mean, I write grocery lists all the time. <laughs> like, how hard could that be? Luckily, I found an amazing web developer who knows a lot more than I do. So anyway, I put together an advisory board, including Nicole and some other friends. Um, you know, it was really important to me that if this was going to be about a big community, that it wasn't just coming from one person. So with the help of my advisor, advisory board, we, we put it together and it launched in, um, in April of this year. And we've grown to, you know, over, I think we're about 700, 750 members. And what has been amazing is how undeniable it is. 
how many of us there are. Um, and you can, sometimes I just scroll through Eat. Just, it's, you know, the page just keeps going. And it makes me so emotional just to see everyone's faces. You know, it's really powerful. And what's been really cool is, you know, not just the opportunities that are happening, you know, TV producers contacting people, journalists contacting people for stories, you know, those things I originally kind of, you know, envisioned. What's been just as cool, if not, I feel like even more powerful, is the community itself coming together and supporting each other. And I think, you know, so often we as as women, as queer women, I think people of color, anyone who's marginalized in any way, I think we are so often operating from scarcity mentality. You know, there's room for one of us. Um, and I think one thing that's been really cool about EAT is watching what happens when we come together and we support each other, we make space for each other. I am so happy to be here in the community of the six of you rather than sitting here by myself. You know, it's, I think it's a much better conversation. You know, it's much more interesting. So check it out. Feel free to use it. Bookmark it. <laughs> you know, keep going back to it. And, and please, you know, join if, if, you know, that makes sense for you or pass it on. And it's something that I uh, just really believe in and I'm happy it exists. Thanks for asking. Thanks again to all of the incredible women who you just heard that joined me in Atlanta. And also to Tiffany Barrier, known as at the drinking coach on Instagram, for pouring delicious cocktails at the event. And to Lise Hernandez for serving her incredible arepas. Definitely check out Arepa Mia when you're in Atlanta. And thanks to Kate Whitman and her staff at the Atlanta History Center for welcoming all of us. And thank you to Mike Johns for stepping in to record this panel very last minute. And of course, to Chronicle Books for sending me on such a meaningful book tour. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Tertian, and I will be back soon with one more bonus episode before season two of Keep Calm and Cook On kicks off. Until then, please subscribe to the show if you haven't already and take a moment to rate and review it. It really goes a long way. Until next time, I'm Julia Tertian. Take care. <laughs>